Welcome back. Monday, June 12th, 2023. I am Seth Liebson. David Dahl, good to see you in the producer's chair. Bill, good to see you as well. One of the weirdest collapses of time between a Monday and a Friday I've ever recalled. I, I Friday feels like yesterday to me. <laughs> I hope you all had a good weekend. I've been listening to a lot of different perspectives and opinions about the indictment against former President Donald Trump. And I wanted to just share a few thoughts that I didn't make on Friday when we first discussed the news in depth. As my old classics professor used to say about anything we would read or hear that was surprising or eyebrow-raising or unprecedented or shocking, obsta principis, literally withstand beginnings. He used it to mean be skeptical of first thoughts or conclusions or rushes to judgment especially over anything surprising or eyebrow-raising or unprecedented or shocking. As anyone who has been involved in a lawsuit knows, be it a criminal or civil suit, or as any attorney knows, the first filing from the first party, be it a prosecutor or a plaintiff, will be its strongest and most boisterous or aggressive set of charges or laying out of the case, and at first will seem damnable, even perhaps unanswerable. But there's always another side. One looks at one set of interpretations or even sometimes mistaken or selective use of facts and then musters an answer. It's called a defense. There's always another side. In a case like this, actually, there are two more sides beyond the defense. There are really three sides, the side of the defense, the side of the judge, and the side of the jury, and none of them have been heard from yet. Though we lived in a rushed, if not frenzied, period of just a little patience on rushed judgments is in order, I think. Rushed judgments are usually never advisable and rarely bear themselves out. Think about how many rushed judgments there were about walls closing in between circa January of 2017 and December of 2020. Another thought worth mentioning here, a lot of folks I talked to read the indictment and said, Donald Trump just should have known better. He is his own worst enemy. Well, thoughts about that. Go back to the one above. We know only one side of the facts. But even so, bad judgment, just assuming arguendo that he exercised such, being converted into a violation of law and of all laws, the Espionage Act, carries the implication, if not explication, that Donald Trump is a spy against his own country. What do we think espionage means? Is that what we've come to? I suppose after allegation upon allegation that he was a, he was a puppet of Vladimir Putin, we've been conditioned to such charges. But just remember, for all the allegations of Russian collusion and subservience to Putin, not one proved true. In fact, most were proven to have been political inventions ratcheted up for political purposes and ends. All I'm counseling is damnable, indicting as these counts appear. Do note, lots of context is missing, and all legal and fileable legal defense is missing, as well as any judicial scrutiny or review of the charges and whether they even carry merit, much less the evidence whether they are justifiable or whether they are appropriate. We don't know how any of this will shake out, but as I'm always worried about the story we are not seeing, and there's a whopper of one, 
the result of which I think we all can conclude what will happen if not addressed. The story we're not following. From the Wall Street Journal, the White House on Saturday said that China had a spy base in Cuba since at least 2019, and Beijing's efforts to expand its intelligence gathering are ongoing. The journal first reported on Thursday that China and Cuba had reached an agreement in principle to build an electronic eavesdropping station on the island. Officials familiar with the matter said that China planned to pay Cuba long and dire economic straits, billions of dollars as part of the negotiations. Using Cuba, roughly 100 miles off the Florida coast, as a base could provide eavesdropping access to U.S. military, commercial, and other communications in the southeast region where there are dozens of U.S. military bases, not to mention including CENTCOM, as well as the monitoring of military and commercial traffic. The U.S. military's headquarters, CENTCOM, which oversees Middle East and parts of Central and South Asia, Asia are there as U.S. Special Operations Command, both in Tampa. We have been on a too long tear in our toleration and appeasement of China and Cuba, both countries that literally invoke Marxist-Leninism in their constitutions and several times, lest the world miss their point. I'm using literally accurately here. Go read their constitutions. They're not shy about it. Now, if you read Teen Vogue or the New York Times or you're a fan of Cartoon Network or almost any of the textbooks used in most public schools today, you wouldn't see what the problem is with confrontation or eavesdropping from a country that maintains its Marxist-Leninism outlook. But if you have a sense of history or just read the speeches of, say, John F. Kennedy or, for that matter, Adelaide Stevenson or spend five minutes on the website of the Victims of Communism Memorial, you will see this is quite a big problem. When he came into office, President Joe Biden relaxed restrictions of travel and financial payments to Cuba, relaxed them, trying to renormalize relations with that country, just as Barack Obama did. When Obama did do that, Raul Castro literally stated that he and the Cubans beat the Americans. That should have made us feel proud. But more importantly, it made Cuban dissidents feel and get treated worse. And it signaled the wrong thing to Cuba. The signal should always be, if you want to normalize relations with the United States, then be normal. Instead, instead we seem to have a foreign and domestic policy right now that normalizes the abnormal in a lot of different spheres. This administration should be pushed to retract those relaxations and treat our enemies for what they are, sending the signal that what James Monroe said 200 years ago is still true today. Any attempt by outside hemispheres to extend their system to any portion of this hemisphere is dangerous to our peace and safety. They do still teach the Monroe Doctrine, right? Instead of the signal of ongoing appeasement, we should be sending the signal and policy of self-defense and, frankly, self-respect. My worry is that with all the distractions the media and this White House likes to throw our way, we could easily be slinking towards a Chinese-Cuba communist intelligence and surveillance operation without even knowing it, or the media and the White House wanting us to know it. 
This has been going on a long time, especially with Cuba and especially with the New York Times. They had a reporter, one Herbert Matthews, who in 1957 wrote praiseworthy article after praiseworthy article about Fidel Castro and his revolutionaries. William Buckley took note to write at the time, quote, the impact of these articles all over the world was subsequently recognized even by the New York Times itself, which is normally bashful about celebrating publicly its achievements. When almost two years later, Batista fell, the Times permitted itself to record jubilantly, quote, when a correspondent of the New York Times returned from Senor Castro's hideout, from that point on, by the way, Senor Castro was elevated by the Times to Dr. Castro. The rebel leader attained a new level of importance on the Cuban scene, nor was the embarrassed government ever able to diminish Fidel's Castro, Fidel Castro's repute again. Close quote. Buckley would go on to observe foreign correspondents have been very much mistaken before. Foreign correspondents who work for the New York Times, he wrote, are no exception. As anyone knows who will attempt to reconcile Soviet history and accounts of the same, filed over the years by people such as Walter Durante and Harrison Salisbury, who will, in a word, attempt the impossible. It is bad enough that Herbert Matthews was hypnotized by Fidel Castro, but it was a calamity that Matthews succeeded in hypnotizing so many other people in crucial positions of power on the subject of Castro. Close quote. It's a good question always to ask if our journalists are hypnotized by dictators they cover. Sometimes they very well know they are covering for the dictators, however. As Easton Jordan wrote about CNN in his mea culpa for covering up the crimes of Saddam Hussein for so many years in order to have a base of reporting and journalist access to all things in leadership Baghdad. It's not that we should be completely opposed to the media in this country. It's just that it shouldn't be too much to ask that they sometimes find themselves on the side of human rights or the United States. And sometimes that even means investigating governmental leadership here for lies or corruption or maladministration, even when they agree with the administration politically. In both the media stories reported here just now, I'm going to wager there will be very little media interest in trying to determine how much Joe Biden knew or authorized in regard to the Department of Justice's investigation of Donald Trump, just as there will be very little follow-up to two Marxist-Leninist countries colluding 100 miles off our shore to spy on us, even as, all of a sudden, the issue of espionage seems quite important to the Democrats today. At least if they can legally imply it against a former president and current presidential candidate they don't like. One who, it's worth noting as well, was particularly tough on Cuba and China. I'm Seth Liebson, 602-508-0960. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show, 602-508-0960. I have a new segment here, Ethical Questions for the Host, and... uh, this was at the suggestion of my producer, David Dahl. Young David, you said you had a um, an ethical question you wanted to, to bring to the political philosopher over here. What do you got? I have what a, what I have else? Yeah, question. Huh? Uh, I have an ethical question. Yeah. As you and most of our audience knows, uh, 
Bud Light right now has gone through some turmoil. Yeah. Right? But yeah. being a, a younger man of financially strapped means, I am noticing that many people are selling their Bud Light memorabilia because okay. they don't want to be associated with Bud Light for good reason. Is it ethical for me to go out and buy a Bud Light brand grill at a very steep discount? And I guess if you want to uh, take this to the further, is it ethical to even uh, invest in Bud Light right now with hopes that the stock will bounce back? You know, things so like that. To the second no to the first, more than yes. More than yes. So yeah. I go get a Bud Light it's, grill. It, it, well, you're first of all, this isn't even close. First of all, what you are buying is from a second party. So Bud Light doesn't profit from it, right? This is a resale. This is like something something on an eBay type mm-hmm. website. I'm I'm taking it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So you're not you're not you're not putting any dollars into InBev or Anheuser Busch or any of the any of the suits at the Bud Light corporate at the Budweiser Corporation. So they make no dollar off this. They don't make a penny off this. At the same time, this is very very much like the introduction that Jean-Paul Sartre wrote uh, in, um, in the, uh, the Wretched of the Earth, uh, Franz Fanon's book about the use of a revolutionary throwing a rock. He not only takes down the dictator, but he gives himself self-importance, actualization for all the wrong reasons and all the wrong means. But it's a two-point effort because what you are doing is not only not giving any money to the people at Budweiser, you are enriching and wealthening rewarding someone who is saying, I don't want this in my backyard. You are rewarding good behavior. You are taking it off of someone who himself wants to get rid of it. You are helping him get rid of it, of his eyesore. Now, what? There's a third. Okay, okay. Uh, There is an incumbent obligation upon you, though, for exercising this moral action, as Jean-Paul Sartre would put it. And that incumbency is to do what the person who used to sit in that chair did with all his Nike paraphernalia, which is cut it out, paint over it, excise it, so that it it sees no light of day and no promotion to the outside world. So when you acquire this grill, on which we all presume you will be cooking T-bone steaks— Uh-huh. Then you have an obligation to take some black duct tape. I assume it's a black grill. Black duct tape. Oh no! Or, it's the, the 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 grill that I was looking at happens to be the same color as the can of Bud Light. That, well, that white blue, duct that tape. Iconic blue. That well, okay, then blue duct tape. I've seen it. We have <laughs> yes. some around here. I think in the blue duct tape. I'm sure the suits upstairs here would authorize you taking half a yard of duct tape from the office to cover up any insignia. Or any 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 intonation that this is a Bud Bud Light oper- Bud Light product, so it's really four ways of winning. It's it's winning all around. So it is therefore ethical for me to have the Bud Light grill in my backyard, so long as the Bud Light branding is not. Yeah, no, you're doing a good deed. Yes. You're doing a good deed. You're acquiring something in 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 the barter economy or in the in the in the in the in the service economy that we have. Budweiser's making no money off it. You're relieving someone who obviously doesn't have the wherewithal to understand you can tape over this or paint over this, but he wants to get rid of it. You're doing you're doing you're doing a good deed all over the place here.
Well, I and, hope, you, and you and you become the beneficiary of a good product. Well, that that's good to know about the investing part too, because I hope I'm not the only person in the audience. No, you don't want to in wealth and Bud Light. You want to in wealth and the person who wants to get rid of his Bud Light paraphernalia. That's the duty here. Don't confuse. Don't make a categorical mistake here. Keep the categories separate. Yeah, I don't see right. this as a hard call. I'm open to be corrected, but I think it's a win-win-win-win. Four times a win. Well, I, I, I tend to overthink about things before I do. Or under. I, I, I think I maybe do. I overthought it. You do? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. We hammered at home, though, I think in a, in a pretty pretty uh, pretty watertight case, don't you? Yeah, and, and it could apply to anything. So anytime young David has an ethical dilemma or anyone else like in the audience, you know, else, yeah. we, 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 didn't, we didn't go to graduate school for nothing around here. All right. Steve is in Tempe. Hello, Steve. Hello, Seth. How are you? Do you agree with my ethical analysis? I, yeah, yes, I do. I, I, I think the, although I'm going to, with, with a caveat, I think the, you, you navigated through that one very, very smoothly on all, on all accounts, and I, I would agree with most of what you said. However, if you're going to have your friends and relatives over for a barbecue and they see you grilling their steaks on a, and I don't care if it's if it's T-bones or, or ribeyes, <laughs> you're, you're gonna you're gonna have a you're gonna have a, a conversation uh, issue there right away. Well, he has to cover one. up the insignia. There's no question. He has to yeah. he has to put duct tape over it or paint it or or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Or you or you or you could just have a have it be have it be a pre Dylan Mulvaney. Uh, uh, Merchandise, which I think. Oh yeah! Sense. Oh no! He's so. already secured. All right. You've already I procured. Oh, the I, blue this Bud is good Light teamwork. Tank. All right. So Bill, <laughs> who is uh, you know deputy of operations around here, brought him the blue duct tape. Problem solved. Hermetic. Yeah. We've made a hermetically sealed case here, <laughs> and we have, and we did it with duct tape. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, Honestly, I don't think the duct tape is necessary. I think I think just like like I said, just an explanation that this is pre Dylan Mulvaney is is would be good enough for me if I was coming over for a for a barbecue. So anyway, I would uh, <laughs> um, that would do it for me. You of course I, called I guess, on another. And I, and I, you, you called on a different issue though. Yeah. All right. Let me go to break and I'll let you raise it. Okay. <laughs> let me okay. take a quick commercial Thank break you. and I'll let you raise that issue. Anyone else is welcome to join as well. Six zero two five zero eight zero nine six zero. Solving all the world's problems. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Liebson Show. Steve and Tempe, uh, we're getting to him on, uh, he called in on uh, a different set of issues than our ethical, uh, our ethical teachings. But go right ahead, Steve. Yeah, issues all related, though, Seth. Um, I wanted to, you were, you were talking about the Trump indictment. Yeah. And is it, you know, is it, you know, it, it, it wasn't a surprise at all, but at the same time, the magnitude of it, is uh you know is, is definitely a big deal and uh <clears throat> excuse me i think the thing that hit me the most was how just absolutely focused and just the mindset of the of president trump you know just in the in the wake of this you know he goes out and he does a does a town hall this weekend and just like like he usually does, just uh, has the audience um, 
in his camp and and applauding and and uh, supporting him all the more. And um, I think the again one of the things that uh, and, and I wanted to talk to you about this too, Seth, because I know that uh, Brandon Weicker is a guest on your show almost every week, correct? Yes, almost every Monday. Yeah, and I I want to ask you: Is it possible that uh, on one of the segments or one of the weeks that you can have the audience participate and ask questions of him? Because I think he is a very very knowledgeable uh, guy. I get a lot of insight from him on a lot of things that I knew nothing about previously, and he's obviously a very smart guy. Knows a lot of people. Knows a lot of people on the inside. But I can't, for the life of me, understand what what his pushback against Trump. And I know on the last show that he had, uh, where he was on, he was talking about you know one of the issues that he brought up that was the big or his biggest criticism of the former president was his appointments. And I'll agree with him there to a certain extent. I think that Jeff Sessions as Attorney General was a horrible appointment. And William Barr, after him, was a horrible appointment, too. And a number of the, you know, Secretary of State, you can go down the list, there were, and, 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 and uh, you know, and then he was talking about, well, you know, during the, during his administration, he shut down the government and caused us to have all these problems with, he didn't want to do that. He was listening to a guy that he should have fired right away in, in, in Anthony Fauci, but he couldn't because of the political impact and the firestorm that he knew would be all over him if he did it. And, you know, those are decisions that... That's an interesting construction. He couldn't because he was worried about the political pushback. That's not a profiling courage, really. Well, I I know. And and, and I'll tell you, Seth, I I think the circumstances were... We were in uncharted waters during that thing. Mm -hmm. I don't think he knew what was going you know, what the ramifications were of of uh, shutting, the, you know, well, I think he knew what was going to happen if he shut down the economy, but he didn't understand the total impact of the virus like like we all didn't. Even it's not, true. it's not true that we all didn't. By, by May, we well, all pretty much knew what was up, which is well, why the great yeah. Barrington doctors came together around Jay Bhattacharya and Scott Atlas I mean, but, I, I but had that, column after column in Fox News. Hugh Hallman had statistical analysis here once a week. Heather McDonald did. A lot of people knew by 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 summertime true. what was what was up here. That that's true, Seth. But the fact of the matter is, and you know this to be a fact, the majority of the American public was not buying it. They were scared. And why was that? And who were they listening to? Anthony Fauci they, and Deborah Burks. That's who they were listening exactly. to. The persons that Donald Trump kept at the forefront of the operation. Right, but okay. can you imagine what what would have happened had he fired Anthony Fauci and Burke? Uh, could you imagine what would have happened if he had fired them and put in someone who spoke common and straight dope on this stuff, like a Jay Bhattacharya or a Scott Atlas? I, I, Maybe I, we would have avoided I, I, three years of terror. I understand, but, I mean, those guys were speaking. The American public was listening to them. They were also listening to Fauci and Burks. Do you really think the they, American uh, public knew who Fauci and Burks were? Five minutes before January 2022? No. Uh, I don't either. No. I don't either. But, no. They had but credibility that, yeah. because they were given credibility. 
or give him credibility. You, you have a related call right after you, so I'm going to give this more time, Steve. It's a great question, and I'm going to I'm going to spend some more time on it in just a minute on the other side of the break because there's a call that's very much related to yours on this. So let's take that call and I'll respond and come back to this. Don't go away. We'll be right back. Welcome back to the Seth Leapson Show, 602 A really interesting discussion started by Steve, and I think Bob wants to piggyback on it. Bob and Payson, how are you, Bob? Hey, Seth, I'm doing great. How about yourself? I'm doing fine, sir. Thank you. First comment, Bud Light. Yeah. I have, boy- I have boycotted Bud Light since I first drank beer 55 <laughs> years ago. And you, and you know why? <laughs> it had the flavor... <laughs> Of tap water, yeah. I said this can't. People can't like beer if this is beer. I would never drink that again. <laughs> it was terrible. If they endorsed Donald Trump and put him on a can, you wouldn't drink it. I, I don't think so. Okay, all right. Stop right. the stuff. Okay, okay. And your your caller Steve. Yeah. I guess brilliant minds think alike. Yeah. I, 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 I thought he was listening to my conversation when I called in here. But okay. Steve, you're a brilliant man. And I called in also on Brandon Weicker. Yeah. I think it was, I don't know if it was last week or the week before I was in the mountains in South America. So okay. I was listening online to you. And <laughs> Brandon's a sharp man. I love his conversation. I love his take on world politics and everything goes on. He's very, very sharp. I think he's dead wrong on Trump, yeah, and maybe. his reasoning, as Steve said, and I believe also, was his selection of subordinates, yeah. like like uh, Mr. Barr, who was Attorney General, for example. And my question for you, if you happen to ask Brandon today, I think he's going to be on, if DeSantis were president, it's not possible he would make the same mistake? Oh, I think it's very possible, would. yeah. No, I, I think it's – listen, uh, every president – uh, every president certainly makes mistakes on personnel. Uh, that that that's it, that's been true going all the way back to even Abraham Lincoln. There's no question um, about that. Uh, but but let me say a couple things first about Brandon, and then on the merits of this uh, discussion. And uh, I'll put you back on Bob in a moment. Uh, we 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 do have Brandon take calls. First off, it's just the time of year when the clocks change, and he's three hours ahead. He can't do it. So it's more when it's whatever the opposite of the daylight savings times when the, he's on the East Coast. So he can do it when he's two hours um, different from us. He, he just can't do it at the hours uh, when we're now three hours apart. So bear with and send me emails and like you're doing today. If you have particular questions, a lot of people email me questions for Brandon that I'm happy, but he's happy to take calls and he's done it before and he's gone. He's gone rounds with the audience. That's one thing. Uh, Small thing. The second thing, I don't want us as a movement to dismiss experts in our movement simply because they don't toe the line on an individual preference for a candidate. I am going to go out on a wager and guess that most of this audience that likes Trump thinks very highly of Charles Krauthammer or Ann Coulter, let us say. But they they had no kind words for Trump. I, I worry about us taking one candidate or even one position. And slathering, and I'm not saying either of you have done this, but we've seen enough of it that it's worth mentioning. 
slathering labels like rhino on them because they don't agree with you on that one candidate or that one subject. For example, Candace Owens said, if you support the war in Ukraine, you're a rhino. And in that statement, she immediately made Dennis Prager, Mark Levin, and Seb Gorka a rhino. Who can accept that? Who can accept that? Finally, this about understanding smart conservative people who don't support Donald Trump. It seems to me that if we're realistic, there are plenty of reasons to understand why a smart conservative might not support Donald Trump. Plenty of reasons to support him and plenty of reasons not to. And the chief to it seems to me have to do with either whether you think he's electable or not, and I think that's a fair debate. I do. And second of all, the merits of his emphasis on public policy and personnel, which is the critical debate between DeSantis and Trump. And there's an argument to be made. There's an argument to be made on both sides. Bob, how, how, how does any or all of that strike you as you would want to respond? Well, I think that Mr. Trump is very electable, depending on vice presidential candidates. Sure. Okay. Either DeSantis, I have that bumper sticker yep. on my car, Trump <laughs> DeSantis, yeah. or possibly Carrie Lake. Okay. But by not voting for Trump, by not voting for Trump, which really excites my competitive spirit, okay? Yeah, yeah. And I watched the news yesterday, and they had flags at the White House, on the White House, yeah. with a gay pride flag hanging proud over two American flags. Right. And this is what we get when we don't vote for patriots. I agree with that. Now, who has been the hardest core candidate amongst them all fighting back against the LGBTQ plus thing? It's the guy you have in the number two position. Who told the RNC not to get involved in this fight? It's the guy you have in the first name on your bumper sticker. So it can go back and forth. It's Trump who says we shouldn't be fighting the culture wars. That's the culture wars. It's DeSantis who says we should. Again, it can go back and forth. Maybe one's right and the other's wrong. But if that's what's animating you, you might want to reverse your bumper stickers' names. (laughs) Possibly. Okay. All right. You take the point. I think reasonable people can make these arguments without being... You know, without thinking, you've got to be crazy to think X. <laughs> That's all I'm saying. You know, we need, I don't know if Brandon's been there or not, but I've been the back door to Cuba on many, many different yes, occasions. Yes, sir. Don't say why or where. Okay? I understand. And I talk to those people, and they're lucky they can get a chicken and a bowl it. of rice. I know if it. Everybody thinks this society, what they're preaching about works. They need to oh, sell it you out. Oh, are, you are, I, I want people to go to freedomhouse.org, nonpartisan organization founded by Eleanor Roosevelt, co-founded by Eleanor Roosevelt, and just go look up their freedom, um, their freedom in the World Index for Cuba for last year. On political rights, it's a one out of 40, 40 being best. On civil liberties, it's 11 out of 60, 60 being best. And their first paragraph on the on the country of Cuba is Cuba's one party communist state outlaws political pluralism, bans independent media, suppresses dissent and severely restricts basic civil liberties. The government continues to dominate the economy despite reforms. The regime's undemocratic character has not changed despite generational transitions in political leadership between 2018 and 2021. That's that's the end of it for me. 
I mean, that's just – I mean, it's the beginning and the end. If you think Cuba is anything close to deserving normalized relations and appeasement the way this administration and the Obama administration and Jeff Flake thought, then I don't understand what you think was going on in the long twilight struggle, as John F. Kennedy called it. I think Flake and Romney were both mates. Yeah, I don't remember where Romney was on that. I just don't. He might not have been <laughs> anyway, in the Senate by then. He he may not have been. I just don't remember. But he might. I'll, I'll take a look. Bob, thank you. Um, we'll be right back. When you think about inflation and the talk of a coming recession, when you talk about the stock market's volatility and bank failures, and you're thinking about where and how can I invest in something for the future, why refi has an investment in a portfolio with a high fixed rate of return, and it's not correlated to the stock market or the Federal Reserve. It's a portfolio, a portfolio where you can turn your monthly income on or off, com- compound it, whatever you like, with no loss of principle if you need your money back at any time. That's great freedom. It's a secure and collateralized portfolio with no fees. Why Refi is based here locally, I encourage you, as they encourage you, to stop by their offices on Scottsdale Road in the 101. I've been there, and I can tell you, you will not get a sales pitch, and no one's going to ask you to sign a thing. When you meet with the team at Why Refi, you'll see why I trust them and like them so much, and you can too. Why Refi is a due diligence approved firm where you can earn up to a 10 and a quarter percent rate of return. A 10.25% fixed rate of return. Check them out at investyrefi.com. That's invest, the letter Y, then refy.com. Or give them a call at 888-YREFI-34, 888-YREFI-34. I will say this, that um, I, I, I think those that want a Trump-DeSantis ticket uh, might want to look um, for a different combination. I, the, the, the sparring between the two is rolling that water so much that I, I just don't think you can put this together. There have been tough primary fights before where wounds were able to be licked, but this one's a toughie. Uh, far, far tougher, really, far tougher than um, when Kamala Harris called Joe Biden racially insensitive and supportive of the kind of education policies that harmed black children when she was growing up. Far, far worse. The, you know, the the thing that she just cackled through and said it was a debate. This isn't a debate. These are ads and attacks going back and forth that I think um, b- both sides are rendering it impossible for one or the other to be a running mate. And obviously a president isn't going to run as a vice president. But you know what I'm saying. I would I would I would suggest you keep your eyes open on a few other of the candidates here for that that second second tier sp- spot. And And you know what? It's so early that. They could, they could, they could come in in the top tier spot, but the two I would suggest you 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 keep an open mind or open eye to uh, are both Tim Scott and Vivek Ramaswamy, for a couple of reasons. Notice notice that they're not in attack mode against the other candidates. They're not writing Democratic talking points for the Democrats come the general election, but they're also doing something you don't see enough Republicans doing. And if you want to know how they're going to handle the mainstream press, look at how they're handling the mainstream press now. Sitting down with them, interviewing with them, and winning knockout punches every time. Uh, Tim Scott did it most uh, a week ago with The View 
Vivek Ramaswamy has done it. He did it um, on Meet the Press two weeks ago. He did it on CNN this weekend. They don't miss any steps. They go where they're hated. And I don't know if they convert the haters into lovers, but they don't let the haters score a single point on them. Keep, keep, keep some open eyes and ears and minds on those candidates, too. 602-5080-960. A lot more coming right up. We'll be right back.